0: Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11 today. This is the second letter uh, to the, the letters to the seven churches In the province of Asia, that we find in the first few chapters here of Revelation. And this is to the church in Smyrna. So, Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. God, these are your words. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that this letter was true for the church in Smyrna about 2,000 years ago. And we thank you that this letter is true for us today, too. There are truths in this, God, that you want us to hear And we pray that you would speak to us, speak to us your truth this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the term preppers? I didn't say peppers. Preppers, P-R-E-P-P-E-R. Okay, there's a few of you. Uh, Back on March 13th, Time magazine came out with an article entitled, What Preppers Can Teach Us About Dealing With the Coronavirus Outbreak. The article noted, of course, what we all observed in those early days of the shutdown. You know, people stocking up on food, medicine, other supplies. There were shortages of all the staple items, you know, the milk, the bread, the eggs, and, of course, the cleaning wipes and hand sanitizer and toilet paper, which will go down in history, disappearing from all the store shelves. But this article says there's... One group of people who need not rush to Target or Walmart to stock up. So-called preppers or people who go to what many consider to be extreme lengths to prepare for emergencies. Whether they're concerned about terrorist attacks, natural disaster, or any number of threats, preppers take comfort in having enough supplies on hand to weather a storm or an outbreak. Of course, as with any mindset or philosophy, this principle can always be taken too far. And the article continues to explain that many of those outside the prepper community have long viewed preppers as overly paranoid, a sentiment that is perhaps amplified by shows like Doomsday Preppers, maybe some of you remember that, National Geographic, which turns their efforts into fodder for the rest of our entertainments. But, in times of crisis, having plenty of supplies and food on hand starts to look far more rational. In fact, many of us could learn something from preppers. In fact, a 2017 report from the CDC found that nearly half of all Americans don't even have a basic emergency kit in their home. Interesting. Well, today, as we look at this passage in Revelation, I want us to become preppers, preppers of a different kind, though. I'm not talking about stocking up on physical necessities out of paranoia or maybe going out and buying a homestead somewhere off the grid because the end of the world is upon us. I'm talking about a different kind of preparation. I'm talking about a spiritual preparation because the Bible Warns us, warns all believers of suffering and persecution that's either already upon us or is coming in the future. Scripture is full of warnings that we would be very foolish to ignore. And that's what this letter to the church in Smyrna is all about. And there are truths that we can learn from this letter written to them as God warned them. Jesus warned them of the suffering that they were about to encounter. Now, a little bit about Smyrna. Uh, it was one of the most beautiful cities in Asia Minor, and it was known for its its west gentle breeze. It was a great trading city. Uh, its harbors were very safe and, and convenient for the, all the trade that went on. It was beautifully situated. I kind of picture a city a little bit like Santa Barbara. We all love Santa Barbara. We love how it's situated, the beautiful weather, the Mediterranean climate. That's kind of how Smyrna was, uh, the steeply rising mountains as a backdrop. Smyrna was actually nicknamed the Crown of Asia. It was a very coveted comfortable place to live as long as you weren't a Christian. It was not an easy place for Christians to live. Yet for followers of Jesus, and I hope that you have experienced this as a follower of Jesus, earthly comfort doesn't matter. In fact, verse 8, Jesus speaks to them as the first and the last who died and came to life and when you think about that in comparison with Jesus Christ with the first and the last the one who died and came to life the king of the universe in comparison with him all earthly comforts are worthless now this is the type of letter that nobody wants to receive i mean nobody looks forward to that bad news that that letter that you open up And imagine this church basically hearing Jesus say to them, Church in Smyrna, prepare for suffering. In fact, that's what I've entitled this message this morning is prepare for suffering. But as much as it's the warning that none of us want to hear, what I want us to see in this letter are three statements. These are three statements of Jesus that give us strength for any suffering that we're going through right now or any suffering that may come in the future. Three statements directly from the mouth of Jesus. These statements give us strength. And the first, Jesus says, I know. It's a very short statement. I know. There's several things that Jesus knows First, he says, I know about your tribulation. He's saying, I know your troubles and, and your afflictions. Now, we don't know the details of what Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, was going through, what type of suffering they were facing. We know that they were suffering persecution for their faith in Jesus. So that's one thing that he knows is their tribulation, their troubles. But it says he also knows their poverty. Poverty was... Actually, a very common hardship among the people of the early church, the early Christians, for a couple reasons. First of all, most of them belonged to lower classes of society. And second, they sometimes suffered from the spoiling of their possessions. There were times when a heathen mob would uh, suddenly attack the Christians and go into their homes and destroy their possessions and destroy their homes as they left. But notice what Jesus says. What does he say about their material poverty? He says, but you are rich. This is consistent with what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Luke 6, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the poverty of Christians says as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything that's something that Jesus knows he knows what true wealth is he knows what true where true wealth is found it's not found here on this earth, he's telling the believers in Smyrna, and he's telling us, he says, I see your hardship, I know your earthly poverty, but you are rich. You are rich. If anyone knows that, it's Jesus. Who would you want to tell you you're rich? <laughs> Whose standard are you going to go by? The world or by what Jesus says? Jesus, now, also knows something even deeper because this knowledge where he knows their tribulation and he knows their poverty is not just simply an awareness it's like okay i i, I know i can see i can see from afar he knows as in he knows from experience Now, maybe you've gone through something difficult and maybe there's been someone that's come alongside you and whatever it is about that person, they've been through something similar or maybe the same thing. And there's something about that person where you have this deep comfort knowing that they get it. They understand. Well, that's how it is with Jesus. As he says, what he knows about their suffering and their persecution and their tribulation And their trials, he says, I know, as in, I know from experience. Think about it. Jesus left heaven. He left heaven to walk this dusty earth. He left his throne to live in in this place. He felt everything that we as humans feel. He experienced every emotion. He experienced every heartache. Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, just like Jesus, these Christians in Smyrna were being slandered. And the cause of this trouble, the cause of their slander, was the Jews. Those that claimed to believe in the one true God, the same God they believed in but did not believe in Jesus. And listen to how Jesus describes these Jews that were slandering the Christians. He calls them a synagogue of Satan. Because here's the truth, is that whoever is not for Jesus is against him. And remember what John 1 says about Jesus, that he came to his own, But his own did not receive him. He was despised. He was rejected by his own people. And Jesus says, in these two words, Jesus says, I know. These two little words give us such great comfort. No matter what you're going through, whenever you're going through something painful, no matter what tribulation or trial you're experiencing, whatever loss you're facing, if you're being ridiculed for your faith in some way, being put down by others or people that won't listen to you, won't listen to the truth, Jesus knows. He understands. He knows from experience. Hebrews four fifteen, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus knows. He knows deeply. He knows intimately what we're facing better than anyone. And because of that, we remember those words. And Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility himself, against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. These words give us strength to face whatever we're facing or whatever we're going to face. Jesus knows. Consider him, and don't lose heart. It's the first statement. The second statement, Jesus says, "Do not fear. Such power in those three little words. Do not fear. We've talked about this several times in the past. How many times scripture says, I think it's around 365 times, says do not be afraid. Why does it keep coming up? Why do I keep mentioning it? Well, because scripture keeps saying it. Verse 10, he says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, most scholars agree that this 10 days uh, symbolizes something. It symbolizes a short period of time. It represents a warning, but it also represents a promise that he, Jesus is saying, Yes, you're, you're going to be thrown into prison, and it will be painful, but it will be short. There will be an end to this suffering. For us, we know that God gives us warnings. Does God warn us in Scripture of suffering, of persecution that we might experience? When we studied Second Timothy, we looked at Second Timothy 3:12. It says, "Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." Jesus gave a promise to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And yet Jesus says how we should respond. We should not respond in fear. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, is what he says. Now, as Christians in America, we can often feel like we're further, much further removed from persecution or suffering for our faith. Of course, you know, we, we hear of Christians in other parts of the world that uh, they were being tortured or they're being put to death. or They're having part of their body cut off because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But what about the church in the U.S.? Is the church here in America being targeted for the message of Jesus Christ? For our faith in Jesus? I don't know how to exactly, precisely answer that question. You know, there's a lot of things happening right now just with the pandemic and the response to that and all the regulations and and everything put in place. And some have come to the conclusion that yes, we're we're being prevented churches are being prevented from god's word going forth or the believers gathering there's people out to get us and that might be true but yet i'm not the one to judge the motives of the decisions of those in authority or why certain things open up before other things or why churches uh, can't meet indoors but Salons just opened up last week. You know, it just seems all so out of whack and inconsistent, doesn't it? I'm not the one to judge the hearts of those that are making those decisions. But what I do know is that Satan, Satan, we do know, wants to prevent the church from thriving. Satan wants to prevent God's word from going forth. Yes, Satan wants to prevent his his uh, God's believers from gathering together because he knows the power in Christian fellowship. He knows the power in God's word. He knows the power in the gospel message. And wants to cause confusion, wants to cause chaos in our world, wants to cause Christians to even disagree. Is that a type of tribulation? Is that a type of trial that we're facing right now? Definitely. And it always has been. Satan's always worked in those ways. But Jesus says, continue to be faithful. Continue to persevere. And he says, don't fear these things. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. He tells the church in Smyrna that, he tells us the same thing. He told his disciples, do not fear. Yeah, you're going to have tribulation, but do not fear. And he tells us why. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And also, take great comfort. It's in 1 John that says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus has conquered, he has overcome, and because of that, we should not fear. And third, the last statement, powerful statement of Jesus that we see, is to be faithful. So I know, do not fear, and finally Jesus says, be faithful. Now how far should we go? How far should we go in our faithfulness? What did he tell the church in Smyrna? He said, be faithful unto death. How do you take that? I know we can kind of step back and be like, oh, well, surely. Well, okay, that was for the church in Smyrna, but surely that can't apply to me. But how do you answer this question. How far are you willing to go? How faithful are you willing to be? We need to be able to answer that question now before we're faced with those tribulations and those trials or being threatened, our lives being taken. Now, Smyrna was, of course, known for its beautiful setting, its magnificent city. But Smyrna was also famous for a certain Christian leader. And his name was Polycarp. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. He was especially known to be a disciple of the Apostle John. And he was about 86 years old, uh, living in the city of Smyrna, overseeing the church there. And this is several decades after this letter was sent to the church in Smyrna. And it was the time of year for the public games and the city was very crowded. There was excitement and energy in the crowds and a shout went out among the crowds. They said, away with the atheists. Let Polycarp be searched for. Now, atheist was actually a popular term for Christians back then because they denied uh, the, the Roman divinities, the Roman gods, in favor of a God that could not be seen. And so they were thought of as atheists. They said, away with the atheists. Let Polycarp be searched for. Now, Polycarp could have escaped. He could have gone and hidden. But not long before this, he had had a dream where the pillow that he was laying on, his head was laying on, went up in flames and and he received this vision, and he later told his disciples, I must be burnt alive. He didn't flee. The police came and arrested him, and they actually pleaded with him because they didn't want to see him die. They said, What harm is it to say, Caesar is Lord, and to offer sacrifice and be spared? but Polycarp stood firm because to him only Jesus was Lord. So when he entered the stadium, he heard a voice from heaven said, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And right then and there, he was given a choice. He could have cursed the name of Christ and made a sacrifice to Caesar or he could be burned at the stake. Listen to his response. He said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The officials still threatened him with burning, and and he replied again. He said, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in judgment to come and an everlasting punishment. He says, why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. And the crowd came running with wood and with bundles of sticks. And when the burning pile was ready, they were going to bind him to the stake. But he said, nope, leave me as I am. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames, unmoved, even without the security that you will give me by the nails. And so they left him loosely bound in this fire. And as they did, listen to part of his prayer that he cried out. He said, I give you thanks, O Lord, that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice. The true God, having predestined, revealed to me, and now fulfilled, I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you, along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. To you be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Now, you might not be called to be a polycarp. You you might be. You Any of us, any one of us could be called to die a martyr's death. But Jesus does call all believers here to one thing. He says, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful unto death. Whether that Death comes by force or by natural causes. We're called to be faithful now. Matthew five eleven. Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. In heaven. Do we live with that reality that if we're ridiculed or silenced or thought of as strange, that we are blessed? We're blessed when people say false things about us and about our faith. Pastor Kevin DeYoung, maybe some of you have heard of him. He offers several examples of how we can be faithful now. He says, be faithful when you face ridicule in an English class or biology class or psychology class. He says, be faithful when your extended family just doesn't understand your faith. Be faithful as you witness to your neighbors and they think that it's strange that you love Jesus and you go to church every week. Be faithful when people think you're strange because of the way you raise your kids. It says, young people, be faithful among your peers, even when they can't imagine why you wouldn't do what they do or why you wouldn't see that movie or use certain words or believe what you believe. Be faithful When you face a terminal illness or a disease and you're tempted to doubt God's goodness and sovereignty. The list goes on and on about ways that in our daily lives that God calls us to be faithful and a willingness to be faithful unto death. What are the promises for the faithful? The faithful are promised two things here that we see at the end of this passage. The First thing, it says the crown of life. It says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now the crown of life, the, a crown, uh, this would have brought about some imagery for the people there in Smyrna. It was a symbol of victory. Often after an athletic game, the the one who is victorious would receive this beautiful crown to wear a a wreath upon their head. This is a, a different type of victory that Jesus is talking about here. This is a symbol of victory over sin and death. That's the first thing we're promised, is that crown of life, victory over sin and death. But what's the second thing that the faithful are promised? We see it in verse 11. It says, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, we are all going to face a physical death. But believers will not face a spiritual death. And instead will be victorious, will receive eternal life. That's what the faithful are promised. This past week, I want to share this quote in closing. During an online worship-leading conference, everything's virtual these days, uh, pastor and author David Platt said this. He said, The world has a pandemic. The problem is the people with the cure are keeping it to themselves. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. He says, We have something better than a cure to COVID. We have a cure to sin and death. May we be faithful in proclaiming that cure. Faithful in proclaiming the cure of forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life that we find through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're here today or if you're watching today, And you have never received that cure. It's very simple. Jesus did say that he came, well, it does say about Jesus that he came to his own. His own did not receive him. He was rejected. But it says, But to all who did receive him, receive him as the cure, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. The Bible is very simple. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will receive that cure right here, right now, by having faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And Today, also, we have the opportunity to come and receive the Lord's Supper together. And as we do so, we are reminded of the cure of sin and death. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In what he proclaimed for the forgiveness of your sins, we come and we receive that promise once again. And may we be continually faithful in proclaiming that cure, in proclaiming the promise of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have provided a cure for sin and death. And as we prepare to come and receive the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the words that you spoke to your disciples, how you said, do this in remembrance of me, how in you there is forgiveness, the remission of our sins, God, I pray today that you would prepare each of our hearts to once again receive that promise of salvation. And God, I pray too that if there are any watching, any even here today that want that cure, God, that they would call out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me as I believe in you. May they confess you as Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.